Welcome to episode 28 of the Avocado Gamescast, the spookiest gaming podcast on the web. I'm Vampire Merv, and today we will be discussing outsider art in video games. But first, let us meet the horrifying creatures who are joining me today. First, he's a wolfman. It's Wolfman Jew. Hello. Wearing a sexy costume of myself, it's Wolfman Jew. Next, he's a mad scientist. It's science is bad. <laughs> oh, it's me. And finally, he's a kappa. It's the kappa. Uh, I just want to make that noise like they do in the ring. You know, the little kid. I don't know how to do that. Uh, uh, that's it. I think exactly. you can only do ring that kid. Your... Ring kid. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I'm going to drop the accent because I don't think I can keep that up for the entire podcast. I'm also glad I had you guys because I didn't have to, like, change your names to make them sound spooky. Yeah, you got pretty like spooky. The right, this is, like, That's the right the... crew to have for the Halloween episode. Yeah, That's the sad thing about having the gimmick uh, name month for the avocado is Wolfman Jew's already, a, like, a Halloween-y name. Yeah, you can't really make it spookier. Yeah, it's a real curse. What's spookier than one wolf manju? Three wolf manjus. <laughs> that's that's, that's, that's how spooky. Our, our bar mitzvahs are quite deadly. Like, <laughs> I do love, I do really love that werewolf bar mitzvah song. That it's so good. We saw like 10 seconds of on 30 Rock. Well, they actually made a full version. I think Donald Glover is like, is on part of it. It's great. Okay, I need, to, I need to seek this out. If it's on YouTube, we're going to throw it, it in is. a link dump. Okay, great. We're going to throw this in a link dump so y'all can watch <laughs> some World of Bar Mitzvah. Good um, stuff. So, how are you guys doing? Good. Pretty good. Pretty good? Yeah. Well, this could be expected. Yeah, you're ready to go trick-or-treating because that's what adults do. They trick-or-treat. Yeah, totally. I not creeping everybody out by tri- uh, trick or treating when old. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, yeah, totally normal. Um, now I'm just getting going to be uh, like holed up in my apartment and probably go I to something with people. I totally stop coming to this neighborhood, science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, this is just probably drink with people as usual. What what is. Is to be done on Halloween, I guess. Yeah, when you're an adult, Halloween becomes a drinking holiday. That's what yeah. I realized. Yeah, it's not bad, but, you know. <laughs> well, actually, now that I'm doing volunteer work at a school, I'm actually probably going to wear a costume for the first time in years. Oh, nice. Have you decided what costume you're going to go with? Uh, Columbo. Oh, good choice. That's a good, that's a stellar choice. Yeah. Nice. He's, I've got a, a great detective. Oh, he's the best. Yeah, just you yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be doing a whole lot of just one more thing, one more thing, uh, throughout the throughout the evening. Hot take: Columbo is one of the greatest icons in American fiction. Oh, that's not a hot take for me. That's that's the, I I like that take. I I'm gonna take it. Mm-hmm. Look warm. Yeah. It's an acceptable take. I I am down <laughs> with this take. I haven't even seen Columbia. I've only seen like clips, but 
I think uh, I should sit down and watch it one day and just like binge it. Uh, sure. it's it's very pleasant. It's it's a yeah. uh, it's a mellow. good, good yes, yeah, it's a good mellow show to just kind of like it's a good su- Sunday um, Sunday afternoon show. Great. Let's, I think I think I need another good like ironing show, which I know sounds a little condescending. No, I need no. a show that I can just sort of like watch while I'm ironing my clothes. Yeah, yeah. because usually That's... I watch like shitty anime, and mm-hmm. I'm getting kind of tired of shitty anime. And watching sure. good anime, it's not something that I can concentrate on while I'm ironing. So no. I think I need to I need a show that's that's well made, but mm-hmm. that isn't that I can still be appreciated if I'm not paying like if I'm only paying like ninety five percent attention. Yeah, that's that's Colombo. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, you can swing it with that. Um, it's it's a shame that it's not on Netflix anymore. Yeah, they took it out of Netflix and then they took it out of Amazon Prime. It's... Yeah, it's... It's shitty. Don't tell me they um, give to Hulu because I'm I'm gonna throw something to give to Hulu. No, I checked and no, it's not even on Hulu. It's part of the thing is that it really is like I don't want to say it's an acquired taste, but it's not. It's definitely not like a. It doesn't. It can't have gotten like super high marks on Netflix ratings yeah, wise. Probably not. Yeah, I, I uh, can see that. Um, it, yeah. Procedurals sort of have like procedurals don't lend themselves super well to the binge watch model. Unfortunately, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not actually sure I'd agree with that. But I would say like I think that, mm. and this is where I'm going to get on the Wolfman Jew soapbox. <laughs> that All what right. makes Columbo great is that he is very much like a counterpart to the like violent, deranged antiheroes of yeah. uh, fiction. He's like he's just a good blue collar, super kind, incredibly affable, but also still very smart and very devious American detective. And I think like it's that maybe some people find that not cool, <laughs> and it isn't. I mean, I mean Columbo. What's great about him is he isn't cool. Yeah, he's not very cool. Um... My mom liked him very much, <laughs> so it's like, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he he does seem like the kind of person. Thing. Sorry, go ahead. It's it, yeah, it's not it's not a binge show. That's what I wanted to say. It's just one hundred percent not a binge show. It, it, the, an episode lasts like an hour, so you you can't just go like fourteen episodes in a day or whatever. You just kind of watch one and like, okay, I, I well, think I'm good. Okay, so speaking well, of affable blue-collar heroes. Um, <laughs> Mario! <laughs> that's exactly where I was going with that. I've been playing Mario Mario plus Rabbids. Yeah, okay. Uh, which has been a fun fun time. So, it, it, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Play- oh, sorry. I, um, I, I finished it a couple weeks ago, but yeah, it's fantastic. What did you think? Um, well, I you actually, said it was fantastic, but what else did you think? Oh, yeah. Well, I actually wrote a review of... Uh, of it on Source Gaming, but one of the things that I really like is how... Okay, so, you and I have talked about this before. The rabbits are terrible. Yeah. Mario is not terrible. But what I like about it is that it's a game that I don't think... For all, like, the XCOM ripoff stuff, it really is a game that draws from both. And I think that they both, like... They both make themselves good. Like, the... Yeah. Like the Mario stuff um, improves it. I think the Rabbit stuff improves it. 
it's really like almost kind of a perfect crossover, something that takes two different things that you wouldn't think would work together, but then manages to make something that can kind of stand on its own merits apart from them. Yeah, and like just just to be specific, I think uh, having the Mario characters and the Mushroom Kingdom sort of grounds the rabbits and you know kind of cuts the the extreme yeah the extremes of them and having the rabbits around sort of adds this really fun element of chaos to the game and it plays out with uh some of the effects like characters that burn and run around the map when you light them on fire or explosions causing unpredictable outcomes things like that um they play out really well they complement the the rabbits sort of chaotic random energy really well mm-hmm um, it also has fantastic music and just really, it's just this really nice presentation. Yeah, it's a really well put together strategy XCOM like game. Um, and I, in some ways, I actually, I actually prefer it to XCOM because um, the way the gameplay is, it's the gameplay is it takes the essential components of XCOM, you know, the hiding behind cover, positioning, uh, firing, but it, it strips sort of what feels unnecessary. Uh, for example, the probabilities to hit are either 0, 50, or 100. So there's none of that, uh, there's a 95% chance that I missed kind of bitterness to it. Um, so it, it feels like it It took out a lot of this unnecessary stuff. It took out all, a lot of the unnecessary metagame that I don't think XCOM handles very well as well. So it... it it takes everything that's enjoyable about XCOM and strips out what's unnecessary and then adds this uh, this really nice, fun layer of... of uh, physicality, maybe? Yeah, physicality, like with mm. the, the team jump mechanic and the way you dash through enemies. Um, you can, on one turn, move some characters from one end of the map to the other just by exploiting the movement mechanics. So it adds yeah. this physicality, it adds this... Um, the presentation sort of adds this, this sense of humor that uh, to what would otherwise be like a really dour game like XCOM. So I've been really enjoying it. I'm in the middle of the fourth world right now. I'm not very good at this game. I <laughs> I usually make it through each fight. I never get perfect on anything. I usually make it through the skin of my teeth. Today I discovered, um, while I was playing it on my bus ride home from work, I discovered that you can still be at a level if all your characters die in that level provided that um, the enemies die on the same turn. Oh, really? Yeah. So what happened was uh, I I just had Mario left. I hit an enemy. I hit one of those, uh, you know the enemies with the uh, with the boards they carry behind their back? I forget what they're called, but they... Smashers. They, yeah, the smashers. So I Mario was down to like 50 health. I smashed a smasher with a hammer, which killed him. But in, he was next to another Smasher who didn't get down to, to zero health. So after Mario killed that last enemy, there's a quote he had to kill nine. After Mario killed that ninth enemy, the other Smasher ran up to him and smashed him. <laughs> but I'd already killed the ninth Smasher, so it immediately took me to a victory screen uh-huh. as soon as Mario died. And it showed, uh, on, upon completion, good with all my characters with a red X over them. So yeah, um, just for uh, those who haven't played it, a Smasher is 
kind of like the big, heavy, fat guy enemy, its gimmick is that it gets enraged whenever you shoot it, and so it runs toward whoever shot, um, shot him and can do a second attack on top of the attack he normally does. So the way you kind of want to defeat them is by setting up kind of like... You kind of want to flank them on three sides and just have, like, everyone kind of kill him all at once. Yeah. Um, the other Which way is, to, to attack them is to use uh, characters with lots of ranged weaponry. Um, it They're really hard to deal with if you have multiple smashers on the field. But you can sort of... If you have one or two, you can sort of corral them in, in, a, in an effective way. So that's what I've been playing. Mario Plus Rapids. Been really enjoying it. Um, I, I When I get a, get a Switch, I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out. Although... To be said, I do love those um, XCOM elements that you don't like. So, but uh, it does sound fun. Yeah, I mean, even if you like the elements that they've taken out from XCOM, I think you'll still find something to enjoy in it. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of a puzzle game as much as it is a tactical strategy game. So it's, I can see that. So it's kind of its own flavor, along with it, not just like a kind of a dumbed down. Yeah. yeah. Or not streamlined. to mention that it has actual puzzles along the way too. So, mm-hmm. it's you get you get that good mixture. So, science, what have you been playing? Um, I've I've been playing uh, three games, the same games basically the last time. But I finished Cuphead. Um, I finished uh, Steam World Dig Two, and I am one fourth, maybe one third of the way through through uh, Divinity Two. Um, so just kind of like working through these games slowly. Um, so tell us about SteamWorld. How's that? Oh yeah, that's that, that. That game is just. I think it's the perfect game that it can be. Um, like it's not some um, a game that revolutionized anything, and it's not a game that like probably. Um, not many people will be like, oh, it's uh, my top three games of the year. But uh, what it does, it does perfectly. It has the uh, perfect controls, I think. Um, it has the uh, the perfect um, um, upgrade system. It like slowly, um, gradually makes you better, better throughout the game. Like it keeps giving you these tiny little rewards that keep you going and. Uh, there always some there's always something in your crosshairs so like okay I, next thing I'm going is for is is this little upgrade that lets me do this and this and and then it slowly gives you better movement options um, you know and uh, more health and shields and all of that stuff and uh, the um, uh, the skill dynamic uh, the skill system is very clever it's um, if you ever played Bastion, um, it had a, it has the same system as in Bastion. So you don't like lock in your points to anything in your skill system. You just kind of can um, uh, take uh, your points and 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 um, give it to some skills, and then you can switch them around, and it doesn't cost anything. So it's perfect for trying things out. Um, yeah, it's 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 just really really enjoyable. Um, it took me about ten hours, twelve hours to finish it. It's a um, pretty pretty good time for Metroidvania. Yeah, pretty good pretty good time. Uh, I had I it's like you're constantly enjoying it 
um, like it, it, I don't think it it's it couldn't be better. <laughs> I I'm struggling to see any any um, cons here. It, it's it's it has great music and great atmosphere. It looks very pretty. Um, it's better, definitely more uh, robust in many aspects, like in skills and in like um, length, even I think than the first one. Uh, it, it's just a better version of the first one. And if you have like, um, I don't know, if you have like time to, um, maybe it's a bit like um, <laughs> like an ironing version, ironing game, like uh, a game that you kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to listen to a podcast, um, and also I want to play a very good game that doesn't like... Uh, it, do, it It has a story, but it's not very engaging. It's more about the gameplay and the uh, and, and the skill progression and so forth, and the money progression. Uh, then, yeah, you, you, should, you should totally give this a shot. It's the best one of those I've played in a very long time. Uh, I had a, a blast playing it with like with something going in the background. It, it, that's not a slight on the game. Um, I think that I really need games like that to just like relax, um, uh, because Cuphead really stressed me out. So this was a good counterbalance to that game, uh, and it, it was a it was a real blast to play through. And whoa, I really recommend it to anyone that one wants to like uh, have a game that. Which with which they can um, relax and maybe like um, yeah if you if you're playing a lot of Destiny two or, or whatever then maybe you should play this to just kind of wind down. Um, also a good weekend game if you're like uh, relaxing in a weekend. So yeah, highly recommended. Highly highly recommended. I can't see anything to any faults in it. It's good. Nice. Lovely. Yeah, so Kappa, what have you been playing? Uh, a little bit of everything. Um, I finished up Halo 4, which I don't think anybody wants to hear about. Started <laughs> started Destiny, but in the meantime, in between those two, I played some Shadows of War, um, which I hated. Uh, I absolutely hated oh. it. Oh, it doesn't no. have, to, it doesn't have anything to do with the microtransactions, none of that stuff. It's just It's just a boring game. Uh, did you play the first one? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I liked the first one a lot. I thought it had you some cool ideas, one. but okay. I wasn't a hundred percent into it. You know, I finished it up and, and enjoyed like, what I liked, but mm-hmm. this this one just kind of feels like it, it it really falls in love with creating systems on top of systems on top of systems that have mm-hmm. all these little random elements applied to it that don't ever really add up to anything fun. Um, got really frustrated with with it throughout Act Two, which is kind of misleading because act two is probably i would guess maybe half the game um so i just kind of wasn't really enjoying where it was going uh the the layer of loot i don't think is really well done uh it's level loot so you end up just kind of constantly replacing stuff you have to do quests to use it but levels come so fast that there's really not much point in keeping a sword um there's really no stats other than what the sword does, like in terms of like light stuff on fire or makes things, you know, uh, flee or, or bleed or stuff like that. Um, it's not like one sword does 15 damage, the other does 50. It's all just the same. Um, 
and there's different tiers, so there's epic and legendary and whatever loot, but it's all just kind of thrown at you. Um, it, it's not a good loot system. It, it's not fun to deal with. The orcs themselves have somehow like better personalities, but are more boring than the first one. Um, mm. They're constantly coming at you with the same orcs, and they they don't really ever. I don't know. It, it, it all in all, it's a bad game. Um, I'm really <laughs> disappointed by it. Oh, uh, shame. My plan was to get through it between Halo and Destiny, and it's just I, I just can't. It, it, I actually uninstalled it about. I don't know, probably about two or three days ago. I was just really, really bummed out that I had to do that. I'm hoping that oh, maybe man. some DLC or something comes around to fix it. Um, oh man, that's, I, I laugh a little bit because that's I didn't I I didn't expect such a scathing review of this yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, I I thought I thought worst case scenario I'd like it okay enough to you yeah. know plow through it, but I mean everything about it. Just walking away from it and, and just thinking, man. I enjoyed the first one. There was a lot to it. Uh, it was an mm-hmm. interesting take of Lord of Ring, uh, on Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, Lord of the Rings games have always kind of struggled with, well, we can't let you play the, the story of, you know, Aragorn, because everybody knows that. So instead, here's, like, what they did in, uh, uh, was the RPG First Age, where there's that yeah. other one that kind of came out around the time with the movies, where it's like, you're the, the distraction force, or... Um, yeah, all, yeah. All and, and you're still and you're still a dwarf and an elf and a human. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's always wow. like, here I am with not Gimli going through. Yeah. You know, <laughs> my uh, name is not Gimli. <laughs> they did a lot in this one to just kind of just totally ignore the lore of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, um, yeah. she loves a, a woman. Um, yeah, that, that, that freaked me out a little bit when I was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I, I mean, like all. The, I've read a lot about, you know, people saying, like, the game's kind of, like, grappling with, you know, slavery issues and all stuff. And I I don't know. I really don't... I didn't really feel any of that while I was playing it. Um, Salimbrabor? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Salimbrabor. Uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> the elf Limbor. ghost. <laughs> He's yeah. kind of going evil. And, and, like, you're basically, like, kind of having to keep him in check the whole time. He's inside your body using you as kind of, like, his vessel. But... I mean, he's basically also the only reason you have the powers you have, so it's this kind of, like, weird relationship between the two, but his evilness is, is basically kind of be, proving his undoing as he struggles with uh, kind of a spoiler. I mean, this literally happens in the intro of the game, not even in the game itself, but he creates another one ring, um, which is okay. just the, the dumbest thing. That's pretty <laughs> dumb. Why? That's pretty dumb. Why that's, would you do uh, that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, that's that's um, a lot of bad things, but that's, yeah, that's the... not good, not great. But uh, have you have you been like also encountering a lot of microtransaction stuff? Uh no. Uh, here's okay. why I use Cheat Engine, and <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, I, I just, yeah, sure. I, like almost like as like a point of of pride, I just cheated myself a million silver or whatever it is in the game, and just bought myself the packs because I was really curious what was in them because it doesn't yeah. it doesn't really define it well uh honestly in game it's just kind of like buy a silver pack for a chance at you know it just is a chance at legendaries i was like yeah okay cool what chance like what's the yeah, problem gambling. And, and so i bought the silver one and it is literally the same leveled loot that the orcs that you kill drop it's just two of them so mm-hmm. I, I but now there's gold packs that like I think I got like one from like I don't know like pre-ordering or something. The gold packs seem to have guaranteed legendaries and also like legendary orcs which I've heard is what you need to to beat the game. I got a buddy who stuck with it and he actually wished he did quit. 
um, because he said the entire final act is one of the most infuriating things he's ever dealt with. Yeah, uh, I've heard that, that it's a bit of a grind, a yeah. boring grind. So I'm, ho- I'm hoping they come around and fix it. I mean, you know, I feel like Warner Brothers has kind of found their niche in these type of fighting games that they do. The combat's really fun. Um, you know, the Nemesis system is really cool. But, I mean, every game has their gimmick, right? So Mad Max had the car, liked it. That was good with it. Batman kind of has the weird, you know, detective mode type stuff going on. Okay, I like it. But for as cool as the Nemesis system is, it's got to go somewhere. And the answer isn't a Metal Gear-style fob. You guys ever play Metal Gear 5? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that, that type of multiplayer to me is exactly what I don't like so I, I I think that this system could really like be used in other games but I haven't seen a lot of it being used anywhere else which is kind of a bummer and yeah. the only place that I've seen being it being used kind of is is the Xcom expansion that that came out recently and that's it yeah um, what, what I, w- I wish this game would have took I mean, obviously, it took lots of cues from Assassin's Creed. I mean, just it's obvious, right? Yeah, um, like the piling on of systems upon systems. It sounds yeah. a lot like the problem with Assassin's Creed Three, and and that's exactly what this reminds me of. Like, remember how Brotherhood had like your assassin pals? You just tap a button and you'd whistle, yeah. and they'd show up and kill them all, right? Yeah. That's at some what... point, all of that seemed like a chore to me. Like right. a lot of Assassin's Creed seemed like, oh, can't. And do this with is it. that's kind of where this game kind of builds on a lot of those systems. So like. You have to you have to find the right orc first. He has to be epic or legendary, right? And then you you dominate him. And but you have also to fall in love with him. Oh no. yeah, <laughs> but also then you have to read. He's got weaknesses. Okay, great. So I know if I run around with a guy with a fire sword, not to bring him out. Okay, cool. So now he's got weaknesses on top of that. So now do I death threat him? Do I shame him? Do I? There's just too many things going on. Uh, to, to, to kind of like keep me into it. I, I know people, some people love these types of games, all these like intricate systems that you can work to do all these cool things with, but it doesn't feel as organic to me. It's just okay, like, um, yeah, organic, but it, it, with all the system, it, it, it does, it, this, it did seem that they don't handle it very well, but with like a lot of, um, uh, windows and stats and like, it's a, it's, it looks very cluttered. I don't know if it, it feels it, very cluttered. It, it feels when you're playing it, the, the some of the way the, like so you have to look at the army and each little area has its own army. And I, like I said, I only made it towards the midpoint of Act Two, so I mean I didn't get all the way to the end of it. it, it things might change. I really doubt those. My, from everything I heard, the ending is gets even worse. But you're managing a lot of these little intricate like okay so this guy this orc is the boss over here and he's reporting to this guy so it's that same nemesis system going on but think about is instead of one area you're managing like six areas you know Uh, and (laughs) and same thing when you die the time advances or when you resolve certain (laughs) conflicts the time advances or i don't know and like at least as far as i got i never really even felt like i needed orcs at all like i Hmm. i could have probably played like a the equivalent of like a pacifist run through where I just don't dominate any because I'm pretty good at that Batman style combat and they don't add enough to me but you need them for the sieges which is where they're getting their money it sounds a lot like this was a game that was where where the engineers had control over it right (laughs) where like the engineers wanted to show off the systems they could create without regard to how the players would um, yeah and and then 
that's a good way to put it. And then right on top of that, what happened is some somebody said, oh, and on top of that, we can throw these microtransactions in to shortcut these systems. You know what I mean? Like, and everybody knows. It's a, yeah, it's also an acknowledgement that, that the systems were unnecessary to begin with. Yeah, if you can buy a shortcut, then why is it in there? You know, so mm-hmm. it's. It's. I think we talked about it a couple of times now. Games as uh, you know, content delivery, or you know, games as a service, whatever you want to call it. But that's what this one kind of feels like. One of the reasons I really, I don't usually quit games. I usually see it to to the very end. Until like what I, I always describe it as like seeing the treadmill, right? Like you mm-hmm. see, like okay, all yeah. I'm doing is is dominating orcs so that I can kill orcs so I can get better gear so I can kill orcs so I can dominate. It's like it you was see through like, the matrix. Yeah, you see yeah, like the numbers. Like, it's just a treadmill at this point. I'm yeah. just I'm making incremental upgrades, and it doesn't really matter if I get a better bow. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, like the guy takes two shots instead of one, or the guy's immune to bows, and it doesn't matter. Like it's all just kind of, I don't know. I, I really felt it strong with this game, and it's yeah. I didn't feel it with Mad Max. I didn't feel it with Batman or any of the other kind of like brawler WB games. Um, so, man, I was, I, I was let down. It's a Skinner box. It's, yeah, yeah it, it, it weirdly feels a little bit soulless. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen it and I was like not compelled to buy it at all. That's I why like, I can't oh. I can't describe it why, but the orcs have more personality. They definitely do. They come in and they've got like these almost these like, you know, monologues about, you know, yeah. I, I died on the battlefield and maggots mm-hmm. ate my flesh, but now they're in me and I'm ready to you know, and it's you know, grom maggot flesh is like what the scary voice says over it. And then you're like, Oh, okay, you push the button, you're like, Okay, weak to fire. <laughs> and then you just burn him. And you just you know okay, and then Grom Maggot Flesh lies dead on the field, and you know, and that, then he comes it. back. Yeah, and you've killed me once before. <laughs> and he comes back like fifty times, but he's like yeah. like basically at this point just like a living armor plate. <laughs> this is um, the fifty-first time we've met. So I don't know. I mean, I I think what everybody that I've told I actually bought this game. What they've said to me is, well, I was just going to get it on sale, so I'd say do that. Get it for twenty bucks, like. You know, everybody yeah. does with any kind of single-player games these days. It's it's not yeah. a must-buy at all to me. Yeah, it, it felt very strange for me to read all the reviews and see the streams because I was sure that they would, like, really... I, I didn't think they would reinvent the Wii with the Nemesis, Nemesis system, but I thought that they would, like, make it just a little bit better, not overcomplicated, yeah. but well, just the Nemesis... a little bit better. For all the problems, it's still the best part of the game. But the problem yeah. is that they tie in so much progress to it. Because before, all the Nemesis system really was was to basically work your way up that hierarchy, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like kind of like manipulate the system so the guy that killed you gets all the way to the top before you kill him. And so you get the maximum, you know, whatever uh, for doing it. But this game, it doesn't really matter how you manipulate it. Because once you kill them all, they're just going to pop right back up. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're you're in ten different areas. So it's like... You're not as tied to the to the locale, if that makes sense. You're just bouncing from minus whatever to it's I can't remember what it's called minus ethyl. It ends up becoming something else. I won't spoil it, but um, yeah, the, I, I don't know. It, it's hard because I don't know if I was really hyped when I when this was announced. I I yeah. liked the first one enough, and I I was like you. I was like, man, with just a couple changes here and there, this could be a, yeah. an amazing series. But I mean, yeah, they dropped the ball. Yeah. So well, bummer. Yes, yeah. So I guess Shadow of War, disappointing. Uh, Wolfman, what have you been playing? It's actually kind of funny because I've been playing two main games in the lead up to Super Mario Odyssey coming out, and 
kind of weirdly enough, both of them are kind of what uh, Kappa and Science were talking about. I'm, I'm only going to focus on the latter, but in terms of uh, like that kind of nice podcasty, chill, mellow game, uh, Stardew Valley has been excellent. Uh, oh, neat. Mm-hmm. It's, I've never played a Harvest Moon, so really the only comparisons I can give to it are like Animal Crossing, but it's really nice. Yeah. Like, it's just friendly and interesting, and there's this kind of nice, cool, dark undercurrent, and I get really excited about making sure that I've planted all my potatoes and bean trellises. Hell yeah. Uh, hell yeah. Plant those potatoes. Uh, I have a question. What what console are you playing it on? What, PC uh, console? Switch. 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 Nice. It seems That's like a it's good... the perfect Switch yeah. game, right? Yeah, like, that it's seems kind of like a very good game for that. Take on the go, pull out for five minutes. It yeah. is really nice when I'm just like... There'll be. It's like really weird how it hasn't fully changed the way I'm playing stuff, but it's just really nice to just like, okay, I want to go somewhere else. I'll take the switch with me. It's really like it's not crazy revolutionary, but it's. No. I was really feeling satisfied doing that, and it kind of set aside this gulf to the real game I want to talk about, which is unfortunately very similar to. Uh, to Kappa's description of Shadow of War, and that's uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. Oh, yeah. oh no. Um, so here's the thing with this game, and I've been I've been planning to write an article on it since pretty much before I bought the game, and I've been kind of sort of formulating ideas in my head about what I think when I'm thinking about it. And fundamentally, the problem with Mass Effect Andromeda is it doesn't know what it wants to be, but it has too many ideas of what it thinks it wants to be or thinks it should be. Like uh, I, 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 I try not to think about uh, Mass Effect Andromeda too much, but I would agree with you. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't hate it, but I mean, it, it's, I don't know. I, I hate, hate, hate saying this, but you know how people say about Fallout. It's a great game, but it's not a great Fallout game. Like, if Mass Effect Andromeda was any other game series, you'd probably actually like it a lot more, but just something about it, just, maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah, with less bugs. Maybe yeah. with less bugs. No, I'm actually... I didn't have that many, honestly. I uh, saw some things, but... Yeah. I, uh, I was trying to talk to a squad mate, and the squad mate walked through the fucking wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can, like, you can, like, awesome. glitch into a place that you, that you shouldn't be in and then you cannot glitch out and then well if you don't have a manual save then you're kind of fucked so interesting 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 things mass effect andromeda very good i mean that was the most i enjoyed the game was seeing that fucking liam walk through the fucking wall um (laughs) my apologies for cursing uh curse like once yeah, we, we're we an X-rated podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we try to be to bring a little bit of fancy. decorum. Oh, fuck yeah, that! Yeah, that went out the window. <laughs> that went out the window like the second we brought Banner Thief on here, which is the first episode. Uh, it's a very spooky episode of of this podcast. Anyway, sorry, and continue. Because um, it wants to be well. First off, it wants to be a Mass Effect game, and it yeah. also wants to be this incredible open world adventure where you could do literally anything. And that's because during development, it wanted to be essentially No Man's Sky. Mm -hmm. And aside from the fact that I don't think No Man's Sky is a good fit for Mass Effect, because procedural generation doesn't really go well with the kinds of, like, likable characters and fun relationships that you get from Mass Effect and Bioware. It also... Procedural generation doesn't really lend itself well to deep storytelling. Yeah, I'd say that the 
the highs of Mass Effect trilogy were the character interactions. Yeah, it's the character interactions or it's the levels that facilitate those interactions like the the Tuchanka mission in 3 and really the loyalty missions there in 2 or like and your favorite Mass Effect was 2 or 3 because that's mostly where people diverge I want to put it to 2 but to be honest I kind of like each one a lot and I feel like Mm -hmm. the stuff I like about each one is because I feel like each one kind of supersedes the other in a couple ways. Yeah. So it's not like where I'll just play one of them immediately. I'm like, oh, you know what? I kind of like this more in this one. Or like yeah. this... Um... For me, it kind of like changed so much. Uh, like from the first one to the second one, it's just like a completely different game in many yeah. ways. And it didn't change as much between the second and the third one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they found a formula that, yeah. you know, worked for them. And they. One of the hard things, too, about Mass Effect is it's going to happen, but I, I don't like that it did. Is people are going to com- compare Andromeda to the entire series of Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. Definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it, it's hard to say, well, you know, I went on this big, emo- like, they might have been planning a whole other trilogy. I'm not sure. Oh, they I know were. they are now. Yeah, but, I mean, so, like, if, if you think about where you were in Mass Effect 1, I mean, there was a pretty cool story there, but you didn't have a lot of the, you know, the attachments you had to certain people that, that you ended up having. But yeah. I'm not saying Andromeda ever would have got there, but at the same time, it was hard on the Internet when people were like, well, you know, you know, it, no, there was no equivalent of Garrus. Well, yeah, but you had how many hours? 240 hours or so with Garrus compared to, Definitely. you know, so th- that was always hard for me to kind of, when, when it comes to the companions, I was like, yeah, I would have liked more time with all of them. I think all the companions at least were interesting, but, um, you know. Yeah, it didn't I, have the time to build its uh, mythology and well, its characters. I'm actually going to go around that because I do think a couple of the characters, particularly uh, Jal and Vetra, are really good and kind of are up there with like some of my favorite characters in the series. I but... have no idea who you're talking about, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't end up playing Andromeda, so... Yeah, neither but have anyway, I. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Um, but here's the one of the other issues. Ma- well, one of the many, many issues. First off is that Mass Effect 1... Like, I'm sure they they had, like, an idea for a trilogy, but I don't think that, like... I think when they set out to make Mass Effect 2, they made Mass Effect 2. And then when they set out to make Mass Effect 3, they made Mass Effect 3. This one is so obviously trying to be the first part in a series Mm -hmm. that it's, like, the first Mass Effect game, you know, are kind of low-stakes cliffhangers. Like, we're Mm going to have to fight the Reapers, da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. But every story, all the character stuff, they have conclusions. And as yeah. far as I can tell, so much of this game is really trying to front load um, like stuff to make you excited for the sequel that's almost certainly not going to happen. That, that does make sense, though, because like, yeah, um, yeah they, they were they had to plan another batch of these games and that's how they kind of roll at this point right they have yeah, to plan I, yeah a whole, but it's just uh, sad yeah like, it, it is it is it is like wolfman said mass effect one stands on its own it sets up stuff for a sequel yeah. for sure i think like, that mass the effect conclusion one is really was, yeah yeah so proceed yeah sorry i was gonna um, say the conclusion is is setting up this mass effect two but yeah. you know you defeat Saren at the end of mass effect 
I guess spoilers mm-hmm. for the first Mass Effect. But <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come on, man! You beat the bad guy at the end of Mass Effect. Um, so yeah, it, there's a self-contained story. There are self-contained character arcs. Everything concludes, but there's enough to tease for a sequel. It yeah. it does both effectively. I do think that and, Mass Effect One was kind of an accident. It almost seems like like well, it, I also, it, yeah. I also think that they like. Bioware had to know that a sequel wasn't necessarily guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, they they didn't exactly know if this is going to be a hit or not. It seemed like an experiment, and then it kind of blew up. Uh, It it crashed and burned. (laughs) Aside from, like, all of Clancy Brown's terrible dialogue, um, the worst part of the game to me is the part when uh, you're talking to this, like, bureaucrat played by Camille Nanjiani. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's like, "Oh, by the way, uh one of these ships went missing. They're carrying all of the like the Hanar and the Elcor and the Volus and all the non-humanoid species and they'll be here in the next game. Mm. I mean, the next wave." Yeah, that's such that's yeah. The the whole ship thing. When I saw the trailer for this game, uh back when it was on yeah, I think it was E3 Twenty six, fifteen, fourteen. It was a while ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. It was and the one they... with the Ghost Rider uh, cover. Yeah, maybe. I don't remember. Never mind. It, it, anyway, <laughs> it looked like oh, you have this whole new galaxy to explore. What could you find there? And then oh, same old shit. Okay, well that's that's. that's yeah, it's kind of that. That's that's one of the my big things about it is how how boring they made the Andromeda yeah. galaxy. You're, there's yeah. really only two. Like there's no get crazy with the aliens. There's I mean, get, so show much me. you could do. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? The <laughs> same shit. Yeah, they like, have like five legs and eight dicks and like it, three heads. Yeah, it's basically it's the cool. party. Yeah. And it's you know the collectors what? that they just made the collectors again. Yeah, they made the collectors, except they're also the Geth, and they're also Cerberus, and they're also the Reapers. They're basically like a greatest hits album of all the other Mass Effect baddies. Yeah, that's yeah. a shame because you could, like, what were the players yeah, like doing, or were they impaired by other <laughs> members of the team that said no, you can't do that? No, I think like a. Silicone-based life form that only talks in you know Morse code style yeah, tapping on they itself. I go crazy with it, man. It's maybe maybe they had these ideas and then the the suit said, "No, no, no. We have to have a similar story to the original Mass Effect trilogy. People well, that, don't like change." Well, I think that's the thing. Is like it's there's this really there's like this desire to be new. But then there's this, like, desire to kind of, like, be like the old ones. And at its best, the game does feel like it takes the best ideas of all the three games. So, like, there's this new alien species, and I think a lot of the best parts of the game are, like, your character, who's kind of, like, the emissary for all of the main species from the original series, trying to, like, integrate herself into this society and be, like, a represent an ambassador. Yeah, that's all boring. I thought, like, <laughs> like that's a boring story. That's, like, um, I, I'm not interested with any of that. Like, I actually thought that at the beginning of Mass Effect Andromeda, when I first saw the trailer, I thought, like, there's going to be a little bit of, like, 
maybe dread at what you're going to actually meet. Maybe it's going to be really dangerous and or like an really, alien. Really play with the idea of like you showing up and them thinking you're like some kind of conquering force. You know? Yeah, because um, you kind of are. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know. I kind of was reminded while I was playing Halo actually about this. I don't know if, how much you guys know about the lore of Halo, but a little bit. Okay, First so millions three games. Millions of years ago, humanity was like the most powerful species in the universe. And then the flood shows up and humanity basically flees the flood. They're running from them, you know, throughout space. Um, as they're running, they run into the forerunners. The forerunners have no idea. They're like, whoa, these guys just showed up and they're, you know, they're really powerful military. Let's start fighting them. But they didn't realize they were running from something. So when I first heard about Andromeda, that's what I thought was going on. You know, we'd get that kind of feeling like, hey, they're, we're running from the Reapers, you know, trying yeah. to escape them. We're finding this galaxy where it was like, you know, friend or foe. They resolved this stuff, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, us being shown as conquerors, you know, or humanity, whatever you want to say, in like, what, two quests? <laughs> it's like, okay, you yeah. guys are cool. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, oh, but that's the thing. It's like the best are these little glimpses like they they're nice character moments and there's a few of them but most of them aren't they're most of the like some when the some of the characters like get time to kind of like explore their personalities they're interesting for the most part but most of the time they're just kind of doing that kind of like joss whedon-y like quipping yeah it's a whole new galaxy of shit and we have joss whedon quippy and that is what and then yeah. you spend two thirds of the game fighting the renegade settlers that never really uh, made sense. Like they left the station, right? Like, and they're like, and okay, also, we're. Gonna... I'm just yes. gonna go say this. Sorry to interrupt, but no. the whole point of the game is you're basically like a col. You're basically like a colony of people, and there's only like a few hundred thousand. So every time you kill someone, you're you're lowering the pop the genetic pool. Yeah, like except, that's except dumb. Murdered it feels, entire villages. It's, yeah, it's dumb. <laughs> yeah. It feels like sci-fi levels, uh, sci-fi channels, channel <laughs> level of fucking storytelling, me meandering bullshit. Like this, Yo, this okay. crap. Is... Wait, I just want to hey, say one last thing. Some some shit on sci-fi is great. I no, I, I'm saying about the back. bad. I'm saying Yo, about the Alpha's bad. Yo, Alpha's fucking shit. amazing. Uh, no, I know. I'm saying about the bad shit. But you know, I I see what you're saying, but I think that yeah, I think you can't take that part out of the game because they, they didn't create enough cool enemies. There was only yeah, exactly. one yeah, enemy, thought, so they're like. Yeah. Well, we got to have you fight some humans. Well, we just all showed up on a big lifeboat. Why are we fighting any humans? I mean, yeah, it's, it's like why? You know what's crazy to me. Um, I know. Okay, so we've all played Mass Effect, right? Yeah. Oh, the original I'm, trilogy. Yeah. I haven't played it. Yeah, that, yeah, I meant that. Um, so in the original trilogy, the deal is, you know, it's this elaborate, like, political infighting on this, you know, magical space station when humanity yeah, is it's... now like. Basically, Game of Thrones, where people yeah. fight amongst each other, but there's this larger threat that looms over everyone. Yeah, and so in the main trilogy, you know, you have humans who are like, they're the young race, but they're also really ascendant, and they're super imaginative. You have the Turians, who are these, like, mighty soldiers, the Asari, who are basically the blue-skinned alien women from a Star Trek episode. Yeah. Um, and then you have, like, the Solarians, who are the nerds that always get the shaft in each game. Yeah. And you have the Krogan, who are basically the like the exile brute race, who you know have been screwed over constantly by the galaxy. Yeah. And why, then, why are humans always the boring race? 
like in all games, in all media. You know, you know, there was actually um, a little cool take on that, amongst other stuff. I really liked Cora's take on kind of like being in a sorry fangirl. Um, I think that was kind of like the response to why are humans the boring one? Because like that's kind of how she looked at humanity. Like, look how cool the sorry are. Yeah. It's also a nice switch where, like, in Mass Effect 1, you know, I like the characters, Caden and Ashley aside, but, like, Garrus is, for the most part, in Mass Effect 1, a standard Korean. Liara is a, quote, standard Asari. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over time, they evolve and become, yeah. you know, more unique. But, like, I like the fact that, you know, Vetra and uh, I don't like PB at all. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I saw PB. some. PB is a very love it or hate it character for someone who got featured so prominently yeah uh <laughs> sorry um but uh you know it's in the and so like you go to andromeda and uh it's run by humans and salarians and asarianturians and krogans are exiles like the political structure is exactly the same yeah, yeah like it's it's, yeah. it's insane really it, imaginative it so, yeah it's it like nothing so, changed yeah it's so like Un- insecure and unsure of what it is or wants to be that like there are all sorts of mechanical issues that like I have that I don't even think are important to talk about. The game has feature bloat like to hell and back. There's crafting. There's like three separate crafting systems. There's yeah. looting. There's like a weird multiplayer mode I haven't done because I don't care at all. You know now I see I see the problem here. They moved to a new galaxy, not to explore and, uh, you know, explore interesting ideas and new concept concepts. They moved to a new galaxy to clean the slate and just do the same old shit without the story of the original trilogy. It's just the laziest writing you could imagine. There, there's enough of it through the memory fragments, you know, to connect it, but it's it feels very tenuous to be. Yeah at all connected to it so it and also that the notion of like it being like trying to be not at all like mass effect but at the same time too much like original mass effect i feel it's kind of like summed up in the fact that early on in the game you go to your dad's room and he has got a bunch of like audio recordings from liara (laughs) And Liara's an important character, and I don't think there's anything wrong with her having a tie to the game, but it's just, like, you're the main, like, Turian NPC who's not a partner is a cousin to one of the characters from the DLC for the third game. Oh, boy. Like, everyone just is kind of like, it's this incredible vast galaxy where everyone knows the same people. Yeah, seems like a, seems like a, like a... Like some fans written have written the game instead of just yeah. professional writers. Oh, like fanfic where it's like fanfic, yeah. It's about Harry Potter's son. I yeah. always call it like uh like Harry the Force Gump, like Forrest Gump syndrome. You know, like how like in Assassin's Creed Three, for example, like <laughs> Potter just always happens to be present at every single major event in American yeah. history. Like literally, nothing can be done if Connor's not involved. You know, it was yeah, the Kickstarter yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's, Actually, and kind of like, um, I haven't gotten this far in the game, but my understanding is that the twist, uh, there's two twists, and the good one, or the oh. better one, it's kind of reminds me of uh, that twist in Assassin's Creed 3, where you find out that George Washington killed Connor's uh, nation. Spoilers! <laughs> um, and that's like, 
But I like that as a twist because it's a twist that makes sense in universe, but it's also something you could have just learned by like reading history. Yeah. 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 That's the ultimate twist. Like when I was watching Passion of the Christ. (laughs) Whoa! The fuck happened here? Wow, this is really anti-Semitic. What a twist! I need to read up on this shit because this is weird. (laughs) Who would have guessed? Given the filmmaker. (laughs) Okay, so. Um, that was our Mass Effect 2 fancast um, and Mass <laughs> yeah. Effect Andromeda fancast. That, this is just like, I think it's like our 18th or 19th episode of this podcast where we we rammed on at Mass Effect for like two hours. Oh, sorry. Um, no, no, that's, no, that's fine. fine. I think it says a lot about the game. I mean, like, that people are that passionate about it. Yeah, it's very I mean, interesting. Yeah. It's no, very it's... large. And also... Yeah. One last thing is, I know Merv, you and I are pretty excited for Mario Odyssey. And Me too. I'm also excited. Yes, I'm very excited. And one of the things that I've... It, it, it's kind of mellowed out as some... They've introduced some of the newer levels that are more kind of stock video game levels. But, like, one of the things that I am really interested in it is that it's got, like, levels that you don't really... A lot of levels you don't really see in a Mario game. Or levels that you do, but they're twisted. Like... The lava level is, like, based around weird polygonal metal food. Or, like, the desert level is also frozen over. Like, it's... Yeah. For look at it and it's like, this Mario level is twisted. Yeah. I, I'm just super excited that Mario is going to be interacting with realistically proportioned humans. Because it's going to fuck with people's brains. Yeah, Here's he my looks question. like a mutant. Well, no, he's not a mutant. He's just Mario. No, he's just, just, he's just a weirdly he proportioned like a human. Well, yeah. he's a human, and he's also not a human. He's Mario. Jesus, I can't. Are there other Marios? Is he no, like no, a singular like, being? Well, he's a. Hu- it's kind of like um, Schrodinger's box. He's like he is a human, and he's not a human. He's just no, Mario. Don't do this <laughs> to me. Don't do this to me. But then I, I'm sorry. The reason I mentioned this whole thing is just because, by contrast, you have you know a couple interesting planets in Mass Effect Andromeda, sort of. But for the most part, it's you know standard alien architecture, standard desert world, standard ice world. And then they meet up Mario. See that that like, always bothers me that? about about planets in, in Mass Effect, and it bothered me in the original trilogy. Why aren't the planets just as varied as, as Earth is? Yeah, like, Earth I mean, isn't a desert planet. Earth yeah, isn't a, a jungle planet. planet. It's, it's a planet a with a whole planet. bunch of different biomes. Why do all planet. these planets in Mass Effect have, just, like, a single biome? Because it's the yeah. Star Trek problem. You just kind of like, eh, we're just going to focus on one aspect of it to make it... I mean, like, we don't yeah. want to make four worlds that are varied because they're going to be bland because we're not imaginative enough. So we're like, going to just uh, desert planet, hot planet, cold planet, boring planet. All of them are boring planets. Like, if the, if the planet has a singular theme, it has to be a really interesting one. Like, this is a planet where the water is actually replaced with acid or this is a planet where gravity works sideways i don't know that's all been in mario games <laughs> but yeah but but yeah, yeah. listen to me that would be too interesting like they would actually <laughs> have to focus on that that's not that's not the uh the ea way i'm sorry yeah, that's not the bioware way and that's yeah. the thing that just makes me sad is it's like it's not like these are developers are just dumb like morons who just kind of bash their hammer at a video like a video at a bunch of computers outside of maybe the postal series i don't think any video game developers are like that 
No, I I think they just didn't want to take any chances, and that's yeah. that's the most depressing they, thing. They tried like to they had safe. a bunch of, I believe they had a bunch of interesting ideas and writers and that wanted yeah. to explore a new galaxy, and then they just kind of said no to a bunch of those ideas. And then they yeah. replaced them with chaff because this yeah. game is bloated so much. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. Think, I've yeah, and like. I know we're going off on a tangent here, but let's just pursue this. I think well, EA is stuff. sort of um, EA is kind of forcing yeah. things to be safe. Yeah. Like yeah. they they drop they've shuttered Visceral in, yeah. just a few days ago. Yeah. It was making their single player Star Wars game, helmed by I believe this is the one that was helmed by Amy Hennig. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're taking away a lot of opportunities to make interesting you know, single player experiences. Yeah. And mm. they're forcing they're forcing this like Ubisoft mm. game type skin. On except games Ubisoft. don't really where it doesn't really fit. Yeah, sorry, except go ahead. Ubisoft no no it's fine. Except Ubisoft also like as much as I shit on them, they also have unique stuff. I mean Mario plus Rapids was an actual risk. Yeah. Valley yeah. Arts was a risk. Child of Light was a risk. Um, have you the, noticed that uh, apart from Ubisoft and some other like companies here and there most big companies are slowly all turning into konami like (laughs) we're not very interested in making games we just want to make like like really focused on making brands and easy money um that's kind of not interesting i mean so i'm not excited for the division movie (laughs) yeah division movie happening why they optioned the movie before the damn thing came out it's God like damn it. it's like with Star Wars. I already have bought tickets. Yeah, yeah see, Star Wars has that Rian Johnson touch. That's true. See, the thing about Ubisoft is they use the the money from Assassin's Creed and Far Cry to fund projects like Child of Light yeah. and Grow Home mm-hmm. and games like that. I EA has got their sort of Indies at EA initiative. I forget exactly what it's called. And I think they're they're sort of funding games like Unravel and uh, that. I thought new Sony game. funded Unravel. Sony funded Unravel. I thought it was, that was a, why it was a PS4 exclusive, right? Wait, yeah. let me check know. this Any, up. Anyway, this is um, Man, this podcast is going to get fucked up on corrections. <laughs> it's uh, it was published by it was published by EA. Okay. It's on Windows, PS4, and Xbox. Okay, fair enough. My apologies. Uh, Anyway, um, I think it's actually kind of funny because we're talking about this in relation to Mass Effect because Mass Effect was kind of like the vanguard of the one period where EA was really imaginative. Like, they basically tried to have this, like, they tried to reinvent their image because they made, like, Mass Effect and they made Dead Space and Mirror's Edge and... um, Saboteur, a whole bunch of other games like that as well. Yeah, I mean, truth, truth be told, it was Bioware doing Mass Effect, and Bioware was still like in its uh, reinvention okay. phase with its Dragon Age and and all of that, and it was all interesting and and fairly complex and interest, you know, like uh, captured like the attention of uh, hardcore RPG gamers and also people that just uh, were in it for the story, and yeah, you know, it, it, it all went downhill. <laughs> Well, pretty quickly. What happened with, is like with Dragon Age. I think Dragon Age really showed the decline of what Bioware was going for. Well, like, I also uh, think 
part of the issue is that really Mass Effect was the only one that was particularly successful. Like, uh, I mean, Dragon Age One was very Dragon good. Age. No, I meant, I meant like no, I meant like of oh, that slate because I'm oh, considering yeah. um, Dragon Age to be like after that initial slate because yeah. like Mirror's Edge bombed and Dead Space did well, but it didn't okay. do well enough. For wait, me. wait, wait, Mirror's Edge didn't actually bomb. That's a misconception. Oh, really? oh okay. Mirror's Edge sold. Mirror's Edge did not do did not sell gangbusters, but middle it, of the road. It, it was like a middle of the road okay. kind of thing. That's like fair. it My was thought. uncertain that that it would get a sequel, but there's no like. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a sales disaster. Then the like, internet yeah. fought like hell to get a sequel that they didn't buy. Well, to be yeah. Fair, the sequel I mean, the sequel was because it got all that other EA garbage on it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. See, the, the funny thing about the Mirror's Edge sequel wasn't even the EA garbage that made it bad. Although I will say there was no reason to put an EA style prog- uh, progression system in there, um, or an Ubisoft style, whatever you want to call it. What was bad about it was it had the single worst story that I've played in a video game in like the past decade. No, it was that's, uh, that's literally great. that bad. Sounds fantastic. It was so badly written. Mm-hmm. It wasn't and if you have something that's really melodramatic, you either need really, really good voice actors who can sell it, or voice actors are just gonna ham it up. So yeah. you, it it becomes kind of campy. And this was neither. It was semi-competent voice actors who couldn't make it believable but they also couldn't make it kind of enjoyably terrible so it was just a slog to get through cutscenes yeah and the cutscenes didn't have much to do with the actual gameplay you could mm-hmm. literally just lift out the cutscenes replace it with better cutscenes and you'd automatically have a game that was like twice as enjoyable yeah yeah cool so welcome to our ea uh podcast and we're going <laughs> yeah, to discuss the, all the things yeah, we haven't even bashed Gearbox or Sonic yet. So I was actually going to say, like, I was coming in preparing to do the prerequisite Sonic bash. Um, what I was just going to say with this is that it's you can kind of see, like, basically them, as the years go, go on, trying to kind of retrofit all their stuff into more easily sold boxes. So, like, for the most part, as much as I it's far less imaginative than the original Mass Effect. I do find, like, the cover shooting in 2 and 3 more satisfying, but that was very clearly, we aren't going to be as ambitious and we're going to focus on more of this, like, traditional cover shooting rather than exploration. Mm-hmm. Or, But then you have, like, a worse version, which is uh, Dead Space becoming more of just an action series. Yeah. Um, yeah and Dead Space was pretty derivative from the beginning. I mean, that is... Basically, Alien and Resident Evil Four and Metroid Prime and System Shock Two and a little bit of the thing. Yeah, and like derivatives, not necessarily bad. Like this year's Prey is very derivative, and it's one of the best games of the year. Mm -hmm. But and this is a game that really wore its influences on its sleeve. I mean, Dead Space was very good. Like the first one, the second one, great games, fantastic games. Like. Like, I'm not huge. I've only played the first Dead Space. I'm not, like, a huge fan of it or anything. No, I but I recognize it. that it's... Um, I recognize that it's sort of a... It was a unique game at the time, and I recognize it as being enjoyable for what it is. But, like, it has a unique identity, right? It's yeah. this survival horror game where you're making makeshift weaponry that feels unique to play with based on what you can scra- what you can scrabble together. Uh, by exploring the space station and it has an interesting like it's super derivative but it has this one interesting mechanical system which is like where you can cut off off. 
yeah, yeah. and that's interesting, and that can lead and I mean, lead to interesting like level and enemy designs. You you also say this is derivative, but I think if you tr- throw enough influences into one pot, you, you're just gonna get something unique. Yeah, you, you know. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. But science fiction, horror in space, the video game. <laughs> Yeah, but you, yeah, design, it, it whenever you design a game around a gimmick, it's always hard to kind of keep up, right? Like, so like, yeah. they they couldn't keep up with the dismemberment gimmick being the core of the game, right? I mean, it's still yeah. in there in two and three, but it's like, yeah, it's part of it, but it's not like the focus. Like in one, it really mattered. Like you had to basically yeah. chop these guys up before you could do anything. In two, yeah, the, they kind of like, relaxed a little bit on that. Yeah, because in one, they wanted had to make an it more enemy. of an action. Yeah, yeah in like one, it had action. an enemy that could only be defeated temporarily by. Uh, amputating all of the limbs off of them, so but, you know well, that's yeah. But this is what I'm kind of getting at: is that over time, this is all of these extraneous or interesting ideas kind of were cut out in favor of stream of design that was streamlined to the extent to an extent that actually removed the things that made the series interesting in the name of quote accessibility. And now we've kind of gone full circle where Mass Effect Andromeda has, like I said, three separate crafting systems and an unnecessary level of sandbox design and is meant to be like a Skyrim-like competitor. It it seems like they just looked at other games and said, oh, those games have this thing in it. I think we should also have this thing in it. Yeah, it's not even accessibility at that point. It's just chasing market trends. Yeah, Yeah, and I should note, I have literally no idea how to do any of the crafting or looting stuff. I just sell things to merchants and then hope I can find a gun that's slightly better than the gun. Guys, I hate crafting in games. (laughs) Like, a lot of the crafting in games I hate. There's some games that do it okay, but, like, most of the games, it's like, I don't want to deal with this garbage. I liked it in Breath of the Wild because it was simple. Yeah, and it's that's so it. simple. So simple crafting is okay, but like if you have to collect twenty of this, four of this, eight of that, like uh, just fucking well, whatever. Other, like, yeah, this well, is the future, saying... isn't it? I should be able to synthesize everything from from carbon or something. I, yeah, I should also what, know... that's why I like prey. Yep. You what you do is you you gather junk, you break it down to its component materials. And use the component materials to yeah, build whatever goop. you want. Like you have just goop that you can just do whatever you want with, basically. Yeah, there's also, four different kinds of goop. That's yeah. the craft system in Prey. And just to use the Breath of the Wild example quickly, like what's cool about that is that you don't make specific dishes. You just say like this food can all go together and it'll make something. And maybe that something will will be better if you make specific things together. Yeah, you don't it doesn't have. To. have... It doesn't have recipes. It's just experimentation, which is also kind of a fun, a fun thing to throw into the crafting yeah. mechanic. Like, oh, you don't know what you're gonna get, but you experiment, and you always will probably get something good if you don't use awful ingredients, and that's fun. Yeah, in like by contrast, again, like I have no idea how to spend like points that I get from scanning objects into upgrading into unlocking the ability to craft oh, a machine gun, God. which again is different from crafting that a machine gun, which so I can't focus because the... I need other materials to then up to actually purchase this machine gun that I've unlocked. 
Okay, I, I'm going to regret asking this. What's the logical connection between I'm making this same scanning sound a planet? Kappa made at the beginning. Okay, of this okay. What's the logical connection between scanning a planet and learning how to make a machine gun? Like, okay, so <laughs> how does that? How does that teach me how to make a machine gun? At its heart, the idea is that you're supposed to, you know, explore these worlds and find new like flora and fauna and technology, whatever. And so the idea is that when you scan those, you will get points to show that you've explored this kind of um, either the Milky Way or this one kind of alien technology or this other kind of alien technology. And then you get all these points and you can spend those points basically on guns or weapons, but you don't buy them. What you do is you unlock the ability to make them. Yeah, you research them. Yeah, yeah I get that. I, I get how it works mechanically. I just don't understand... <laughs> I don't understand what the narrative justification is. Like, how does if I if I take a picture of a tulip, I don't learn how to how to grow apples. Yeah, I scanned Venus. I know how to make a minigun. Like, what? Yeah, I'm still mad the logic? I really because I still haven't gotten a submachine gun, and I've been playing this game for 29 hours, and I'm playing as an infiltrator, which who's a character who works really well with a sniper rifle and a machine and a submachine gun. This, all of this sounds a lot like what, what what's happening with uh, the the, the uh, Shadow of War game. Like yeah. there's like unnecessary systems on top of unnecessary systems. It, like this like, isn't yeah. a game about that. This isn't even a game about systems. At least Shadow of War is a game about systems. Like it always was. The first game wasn't about the story, but Mass Effect was about the story. What are you doing with all this shit? And you also have, like, up storage upgrading limits, so it's like, I've got the 60 kinds of, like, dead animal, like, that I have to maybe bake into a gun. We spent uh, an, an hour talking about Mass Effect at this I'm point. I'm so sorry, Murph. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> this is fine. We're, we're, actually, we're, about, we're being loose on this podcast. Yeah, so we'll see good though, Because I think that Mass Effect Andromeda and... Shadow of War kind of perfect counterpoints to the actual topic you wanted to talk about because it's kind of perfect. Yeah, so let's get to that. Uh, We uh, originally had on the docket for this podcast that we're going to talk about outsider art um, (laughs) in video games. And we spent a lot of time talking about mainstream games today. (laughs) We spent a lot of time talking about these big AAA behemoths. Yeah, for a contrast, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like they're they're focus-tested to death and had meddling from like 30 or 40 different executives but there are a whole bunch of video games out there that are made by like one or two people that are outside the mainstream that are made by developers who don't really have formal training or schooling so i don't know to me this is really interesting because like especially we talk about outsider art in like visual art it's usually you talk about artists who had who made, made this really unique work that's discovered after their death, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in video games, like there are a lot of indie devs who are just like self-taught. Yeah. Um, like take the guy who made uh, Dust and Legion Tale. Let's face yeah. uh, Dean Dodrell. He made he taught himself how to program. He was an artist. He taught himself how, he could, how to program so he could make that game. So, I depending. Yeah, it's, go ahead. Hard, it's hard to do. Like fundamentally, there's unlike a lot of like. Like fundamentally, unlike uh, visual art, the like the technology gap is, I think, the biggest obstacle for video games being outsider or video games that are outsider art. Because, like, realistically, to make a video game, you're going to have to own 
a computer and yeah. an internet connection to probably even to, if it's something to download something like RPG Maker. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be connected in some way. Is is Dust an outsider art kind of game? See, I I don't really know. That that's why I wanted to ask this question to you guys, especially in video games. There are all these games made by self-taught people see it's hard because uh, i think with so many things with games like let's say you're a hell of a game writer you might not have any experience coding you know so but if you've got like a labor of love when i was thinking was of was uh lucas pope the guy who did uh papers please and Mm -hmm. uh before that he did republia times yeah um i mean so there there's definitely an aesthetic to it i know he used to work at naughty dog right I'm pretty I sure believe he was not. So. Maybe. Yeah, so I'm I mean, sure. I, I think uh, he was he worked at Naughty Dog, but I mean, he definitely knew how to make games. He didn't teach himself, you know, just like he wasn't like a, you know, a stockbroker or whatever that just decided to start making games. But you know, that's kind of what I think of. Like, even it, I'm sure at Naughty Dog, which is a huge studio, he wasn't the guy who did you know step A to step Z of putting out Uncharted, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there was stuff in there he had to teach himself, but it, it's very rare that I think you get the actual for real, never you know wrote a game before type things. What I see more is the indie guys who strike out on their own, who do have maybe have some industry experience, but know that that's not for them. They want to do their yeah. own thing. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the time that's that's true. Yeah, I yeah. think it's uh, the, the, the true outsider art for me, as close as it gets with video games, is like really avant-garde stuff, like very niche indie stuff that's not at all in mainstream or even in the indie mainstream, let's say. Like yeah. it's not being played by streamers and it's not very, um, you know, nobody's talking about it. Pony um, Island, maybe. Yeah, yeah. maybe even more obscure than that. I, I, I when I thought about uh, the uh, game, I thought about when I, I read this topic. I, I thought about Crypt Worlds and Crypt Underworld, the sequel that's still mm-hmm. being made. Uh, it's this very avant-garde, open-world, weird game made by two people. Um, or some, or maybe two or three people, something like that. Well, it's it's really strange, and the mechanics aren't like traditional normal mechanics. It's it, 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 it's it's it seems like it's as close as that kind of thing gets to to. Because I usually I usually think more about like flash games. Like yeah, yeah I was gonna also like, yeah yeah flash games also. But like yeah. flash games used to be like a thing you know what i mean like it used to be like that's yeah. what you yeah. played for a while i was thinking of a little ge- of a game you guys might have maybe made maybe not played it have you ever caught i uh, remember play a game called rebuild no no i haven't heard of it sorry um i i want to say the the i actually just looked it up uh, her name is sarah northway and mm-hmm. rebuild is a very like for its time it was a pretty influential flash game it was Basically, like most of the things at the time, it was all about zombies, right? So it was a zombie game, but rather than focusing on, like, shooting zombies in the head, it was, like, managing, like, a, a rebuilding civilization. So, you know, assigning people tasks, you know, who's the teacher? Who goes out and gets food? Who goes out and, you know, fights the rival gangs? It was a really fun uh, Flash game, but that's kind of the... Whenever I... When I was thinking about, like you were saying, um, I usually think about um, these types of, like, Flash games that just were in a weird way very influential at a very certain time 
but over you know i i think now if you've got a good flash game it ends up getting picked up and getting made into a mobile game where if you bought rebuild now you probably have to wait you know five energy in order to build a house or you know, yeah. however and, they would. and then also you have the thing where flash games for the most part have kind of a shorter shelf life and by that i mean like it's very hard to preserve them mm-hmm. yeah like um, the vast majority just you will never find them again they'll be taken off or new grounds will get shut down or whatever and they'll they're gone well, the I, flash plugin itself is dying yeah, yeah that's right. true and i think plugins also are going like dinosaur. flash itself may be like attracting a certain type of person like that wants to be a little more mainstream than if you're just creating a game on like a um, game maker or something like that um and and want to release it on itch.io or something like that yeah. um you know it, like i'm also thinking about a game called i'm scared uh, by an yeah. Italian developer, like it's very niche horror game that tried new ideas, uh, tried to like reinvent the uh, scary game formula in a very low key way. Um, yeah, th- those are the games I'm thinking about. Like Flash yeah, was... is, yeah. I'm scared it was like the pixel art one, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's it's very rather like it, it doesn't look very special but it does interesting things with its mechanics that even like to spoil it a little bit if i i think if you want to play it you should because it's it's it kind of does some interesting things but it like kind of goes outside of the game like into your folders and like yeah. <laughs> auto starts the game again when it closes it fucks with you a little bit uh, and that's very interesting, and and also kind of I haven't seen a lot of that in any other game because it's it's kind of one note, but it works as a singular experience, like a short um, artistic experience, and like oh I have an idea for a for a scary game that kind of like goes outside of the system, you know? Uh, yeah, I I think that those games like with very unique ideas that haven't been really explored in um, mainstream art, uh, maybe called outsider art, I guess? Um, I think, like, in terms of... I think, really, the stuff we know, the problem is that all the stuff we know are things that became successful. Like, I was thinking Pony Island or Five Nights at Freddy's for, like, stuff that... Or even Papers, Please, which became, obviously, a huge sensation, but it's mm-hmm. very much like working outside of normal video game conventions. Yeah. yeah, so um, it's these games like that. That's my problem with this is that all these games that we might think of as otherwise being outsider art, they get picked up by the games press. That's how we actually hear about them. Yeah, uh, yeah. If, um, if they're good enough, they. It's just such a marketplace right now. If they're, but I mean, yeah, yeah but it, yeah, but outsider art can be good, you know, and it like can be picked up, but it doesn't discredit it as outsider. Art, you know, it yeah. be like okay, we noticed it before the person like went into obscurity and died or something. But it's still very interesting because I think the internet and the digital industry like moves at a at a quicker pace than like the artistic world. And when we see something innovative and imaginative, we pick it up very quickly. Like it's like oh, look at this. You know, I found a game that's very interesting in some ways, and then it gets really picked up very quickly. So maybe outsider art isn't really possible that much in, in video game form. Well, yeah, because, I, yeah. 
I, I think what it usually comes down to at some point, right? It's it's about the money. Eventually, you know, if you have like it this always kind of comes grand, down to money. But if you have like a grand vision for a game, at some point you just can't do it all yourself. It's just not gonna. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's it's very rare that you could put all the time and the effort and everything. I so, mean, you know, once you start under, looking after the yeah. money you know then it starts kind of it, it, every game gets that bloat right well okay i had this really simple idea for a game but now it's all this stuff um so i mean i i don't know i don't know if we just only see the stuff that filters to the top because it it's good or it's because for whatever reason somebody put some money behind it so now it's going to be advertised um, that's interesting because i think the the game i was talking about crypt worlds is kind of a like stream of consciousness game that's um that doesn't have a singular idea but it's like it it definitely seems like they were making it up as they went which is very an interesting experience as you play it because it creates this one whole experience but it's not a singular thing that just ties it all together and yeah. what's interesting about that is that Crypt Underworld was actually kickstarted, the, the sequel mm. to this game. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, they needed money to, like, explore these ideas a little more. Which, yeah, it, it always kind of, like, comes down to, to, to that. Because making games is, like, hard it's... and long and... Like, with the Cuphead guys, you just yeah. kind of have to... Yeah, it's a great sacrifice a lot. It costs a lot, not just in money, but yeah. just time. Life. Uh, Life. Yeah. Like, how long did Undertale get, take to make? How long did Stardew yeah. Valley take to make? Uh, exactly. Yeah, but multiple years. <laughs> well, it's um, it's inter- One thing I've been thinking is, you know, we've been talking about like it, the problem of finding, like, I guess you could call it true outsider art. And so for me, uh, I was thinking like I kind of have to fudge the answers. And so you know, I was thinking like. Flash games, like weird porn games, um, but I was also thinking of you had some ideas that you were kind of considering, Merv, on the not to you know see not how to the sausage the gets back made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we uh, have not looked at the man podcast. behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah, um, I, sorry. Go is, ahead. Um, that you mentioned a game called Hatred, and that and Hatred was a uh, base, very much like an unofficial fan re- remake of what I think is the probably the ultimate example for how it would work in games, and that's Postal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like Postal is it's you know, Postal much. without the humor, basically. Well, not yeah, really. The original Postal wasn't really that yeah. humorous. But yeah, but what I mean is that like. Postal is, I mean, I guess you could say it's a first-person shooter in this kind of pseudo-sandbox. And I'm specifically... I mean, the first Postal, postal wasn't. The yeah, first Postal but, was exactly like Hatred. Well, the yeah. reason I'm really focusing on Postal 2 is my... Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure. Is yeah, that, yeah. like, it's, on one hand, it's doing... It did things that were, you know, somewhat interesting, and then it tried to, like, mix kind of proceed... Not procedural generation, but, like, an, an immersive sim with, like, a sandbox. Mm-hmm. And well, but the thing is that like as it's gone on, I I only found out about this a couple of years ago. They have done like expansion packs for Postal Two like a few years ago. Oh, it's wow, that's like, weird. It's crazy. Like the the studio, like the running with scissors. Like they only care about this one game. They have no like aspirations for making more interesting art or exploring new ideas. They're just kind of interested in um, fucking the chicken. Wasn't there Postal 3? There was. It was made by, a, by this uh, Russian studio, and everyone hated it. And so then Postal 2 made, like, a wacky expansion pack about how oh. Postal 3 sucked and also how oh. feminist critics of video games are just fat and dumb. 
fuck. Like it's, yeah, like, that's the thing is, like, it's part of this, like, weird, reactionary, nasty corner of, like, the video game market. And it doesn't really have any aspirations to go outside of that. And none of the people inside seem to really care about doing anything different. But inside that market, that, like, weird, nasty, kind of, like, bro-y, MRA-type world, it's king. Mm. Like, nothing is bigger than, for this super small audience, it's almost like thinking about something like Juggalos, where it's... Like not really. Alarmed. I'm always thinking about Juggalo. <laughs> but like, where the audience isn't that Hatchet large, man. But, which kind of yeah. Um, and I guess there's kind of a weird myopia in both of them. So if you want to pretend that this was not just a completely random um, mm. comparison on my part, sure, sure. Um, I don't know. There's so many games at this point. Like Steam gets flooded with. A lot of garbage, garbage. and yeah, yeah, some of that garbage can actually be good, but nobody looks at all of that. So it, there may be hidden gems in there, but nobody ever will see them. That may be the ultimate outsider art, like in, amongst in, like the thousands of games that appear in Steam. There's in one like, game that's even games that seem like you even have games that are kind of manufactured to be outsider art. Like, um, like I think that was kind of like what hatred was. That's certainly what like goat simulator was. Yeah. The thing thing about hatred was like, it was, it was built to provoke a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. It was very successful at doing that. It definitely was. Arguably nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. It was apparently an awful game. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would not expect anything else. Again, that's another thing from this like weird part of like the market where we don't really like look at or talk about because it it's kind of gross and it's kind of like a more aggressively angry version of like trauma. Yeah, so, it's yeah, it's 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 an angry kind of hypothesis. You can sell like. You can sell GTA to a wide audience because the humor... I'm not defending the humor of GTA because I'm not a fan of it. But the humor's tongue-in-cheek, right? It it feels like it's self-aware. Yeah, and in theory, you can also do other things. Like, I know Grand Theft Auto 4 is really not liked, and I kind of like it. Like, I like Nico's story. I don't think it's a great game or a great GTA game, but... It was a GTA game I enjoyed. And... I don't think it, it, it's interesting. I don't think Nico's story actually fits GTA. Like, no, I don't up... think it does. I just it was just a story I liked and I thought yeah. it was well told. Yeah. So it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, games I think can get away with being super ultra violent. It's just the tone with which you present it. Like hatred presents its violence as something to be taken seriously. Um, like going around murders, murdering innocent people isn't something you do for a lark. It's something you do because it's not something that provokes joy like in GTA when you run over some idiot. It's something that provokes it's something like you're sublimating your anger at the world. Yeah, it's, it's weirdly like glorifying massacre. There's yeah. also, I think, the reverse, which is that your characters in GTA can get hurt a lot, which is my favorite moment in GTA 4. And I say this as someone who liked the story, was when I tried to carjack a woman and she punched me and then got out of the car and then kicked me in the shins. Yeah. Yeah. Like NPCs fight back. It's hilarious. Um, and that's, yeah. Um, sorry. I was just trying to think like, sorry, can you go keep going ahead? Oh yeah, that was it. Um, 
you remember science over it was like god a year and a half ago almost where we were you did like the second games cast or sorry the second avocado cast and we talked about neil breen yeah um for those of you who don't know neil breen is a las vegas crypto libertarian paranoid conspiratorial filmmaker who makes i love him yeah, he's great. He makes these very weird movies that cast him characters always played by himself, sometimes nude, as these sort of like violent, vigilante, yet also Christ-like martyr action heroes. And mm-hmm. they fight like the mob and they fight corrupt government yeah, officials. He always has at least three laptops in front of him with which he <laughs> hacks the government. <laughs> um and Hack the planet. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we Sorry. will definitely be putting in links uh, to that and to some of those in the link dump. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, and so like his films, like there's a lot of like undercurrents of misogyny in his films. There's lots of undercurrents of paranoia in his films, and mm-hmm. like this sort of weird fetishization of violence. And all of those things are stuff you can see in most movies, but they're usually tempered. Like they're usually tempered by having other kinds of characters or like sympathetic protagonists. But let's let's be honest, it's tempered by twenty thousand people that also weigh in on the idea of oh well wait 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 this has to be for all people to enjoy. You can't put yeah. that in this movie. So and Neil Breen is definitely just one guy that is making this movie and he can make whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, because he's self-funded. Um, yeah, where did he get the money? Oh, he made his own. He's, he's like apparently a fairly like successful architect. He there's a bunch of like Mercedes and like fancy sports cars in his movies, and apparently all of those are his. Designed by him. Yeah. <laughs> so, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, he's like the Tom. He's a little bit like Tommy we saw in that. Yeah. He just has a bunch of money to burn on his like vanity projects. I always wonder like where Uwe Boll and, and Tommy Wiseau and all these people get their money from. I think with yeah. Boll, it was just like he could turn around a product very yeah, quickly tax, and very cheaply. Tax write offs. Tax write offs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was that, but also it was like you could just put out some crap and Sega would get a little money like to get you know, a House of the Dead license and who yeah, gives a shit he, if that was good or not. Yeah, and then years <laughs> later you can just release a video saying to kill all uh, uh, successful people. Yeah, he made an insane paranoid video in which he basically like railed against everyone and the liberal elite and like I think don't he link, was really don't angry. link to that Merv. Don't link to that Merv. No, I, I like, no, we're not going to link to the video. We'll link to <laughs> an article on the Dissolve that has a that has the video inside it. Wait, uh, is the Dissolve still online? Uh, yes, it is. It's closed, but okay. it's still online. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, and okay. It's, I mean, send me that link. I'll, I'll dump it in there. Um, <laughs> I guess what I, this is, I know, super tangential, and really most of what I say on this podcast is super tangential. The, this is the tangential podcast. Yeah, it's, it's all right. It's yeah. Halloween. It, yeah. It's that it's Halloween. Like, oh, the I guess the real closest you get to the spirit of outsider art isn't really games that are made completely independent of the culture around them. They're games meant as a response to, or to that, or to like a rejection of that, like a rejection yeah. of normal values. And sometimes that's good when you get games like Papers Please that are like, I'm going to make this game that's trying to interrogate like the misery of working at this border patrol for a totalitarian yeah. government but then other no, kinds it, of... it, it it can be defined as many things it's 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 yeah. 
really it's like all art it's what you really want it to be yeah and i, mean, I know it's a shitty answer but art has a bunch of shitty answers for no, classifying it yeah yeah and, and the thing is that like outsider art and genre and literally everything are man-made terms that only bear abstract meaning they're only as useful as we yeah, can let's break it down on this yeah podcast. like i don't know i don't know if there's that I'm just probably playing semantics. I think yeah. we're trying to sort of figure out um, what the analogy is between outsider art and other media, where we have a sort of a clearer picture of what outsider art and the world of visual art, the world of, or the world of literature means. And I guess I'm trying to figure out what does that mean in, in video games? I think that video like, game there... tools have to be more available. Like, we're getting there, but, like, everybody can write. Everybody can, like press record on a dumb iPhone, right? Like, so yeah. those things are getting more and more, like, uh, it, before, like, every phone had a, have a, had a recording, uh, like a camera, you know? It, it, before that, you had to equip yourself with a camera, you had to buy it. And, you know, some of those were expensive, so now everybody has a right. fucking recording. Like, Vine wouldn't have existed in the pre-smartphone era. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, right. you know, you, you get those tools to everyone like and they're easy to use you're gonna get some crazy shit that you wouldn't think that you would ever get so you know it's a you know the more population gets their hands on the thing the more crazy the the medium is gonna get i think and we're yeah. getting there with yeah. video games. and i think we're seeing that with like twine yeah Pie, yeah um, um rpg maker like we're getting those games out there like undertale was made an RPG maker yeah. and um, re- like Hate Plus and um, Analog Hate Store made in Red Pie. Yeah, right? like um, these games are being made in in these new easy to use tools. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, as we're going to see more and more technology open up outside of the traditional like centers for game design, and I think I really do think we're going to start seeing like and especially as like nintendo microsoft and sony and steam start like pushing into other countries we're going to start getting i think more and more um international stuff which i'm looking forward to seeing sure, sure. yeah i think um we're sort of getting that with games like like cradle uh if you guys played that which came out of uh, uh yeah i did i did actually did that come out of U- the ukraine or uh, I, forget. I don't remember. Um, and in any case, we got uh, this this really bizarre um, sort of open worldish adventure slash puzzle game with an, with weird action puzzle segments in the middle, yeah. and it was really finicky. And for some reason, crucial objects had physics applied to them, which made it really aggravating to play god there was one ukrainian or russian game also that was really strange about kicking little bold dudes and earning fun oh it was oh, i don't uh, remember what it was called uh, there's actually a story um it might be apocryphal and there's a lot of like kind of uncomfortable like it sort of vaguely like colonialist um undercurrents to it but there's a story that um some filmmakers went to a very like remote um like indigenous nation in either like 
in, a, in, in, a, in North America or in Central America. And basically, like, you know, they gave them cameras and, like, taught them, like, the technical terms for it. And the movies they made were vastly different because they were inventing, like, film techniques that were distinct from, and in some cases totally disconnected from, like, American and Western, like, filmmaking techniques. Yeah, I think... I think it's going to be a little harder to get something like, like that, that happening yeah. because the world, so, the world is so connected now. And also, that, again, know, the tools are internet required. Yeah. You're going to be connected via the internet. You're going to see what other people have done. And it's not to say that, they, that people from different cultures won't come up with unique ideas, but they won't be completely disconnected from the existing canon of work. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, we still see like unique ideas coming from from people who sort of are outside the mainstream of, of games. Like um, there's one game that came out a few years ago and I never got around to playing it uh, called Continue 9876543210. Do you guys remember that game at all? I no. remember it a little bit, but I don't remember what it was about. Yeah, it's supposed to be like this weird existential game about uh, a video game character who dies and this is the adventure you go through before you pass on. It's really bizarre and apparently not all that great. Uh, the developer, Jason Oda, do you know what he cut his teeth on? Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you guys ever remember this uh, this series of games called Super Emo Game? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, are you guys into like? For, I know Cap and I are into, we're sort of into that style of, of uh, like third wave emo and, and like punk rock and stuff like that. Uh, so this guy Jason Oda made these parodies of the emo scene that were like these bizarre platformer RPG things that made in Flash that were kind of terrible, but also like you like have to also... like save Hulk Hogan or yeah, it was it was really weird. GI Joe would show up. <laughs> It was, they're also extremely vulgar and inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, oh. and, and extremely offensive. But they were kind of funny in a way if you were familiar with that scene at all. Yeah. So yeah, there would be like jokes about how the lead singer of Dashboard Confessional is like a thirty foot long penis. Yeah, that came and out in like two thousand two. Holy shit! I'm old. <laughs> God, like I was playing that as like a twelve year old. Yeah. Shit. That's so not appropriate. Um, um, there's, yeah. a, I know we're get, co- coming close to the end. There's a couple other like kind of quick examples I was thinking of. Yeah, go ahead. Um, one were um, idle games. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Anyone? Yeah. Like like a video games where you raise idols, like Japanese idols. No, 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 no. I D L E idol. Basically, oh, um, so okay. Called Wall Destroyer. I like that. That's where your mind went to. Mer. Yeah, like, I expose myself as, as the world's biggest weeb. Um, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I'm not going to link to the game itself in the link dump. I'll just give you an AV Club article on it. Um, basically, the gimmick is that there's a wall, and you click on the wall, and it there's you do one piece of damage to it. And eventually, each piece of damage is equal to the amount of gold you get. So eventually you get enough gold to buy someone, uh, like a soldier, who will club the wall and do, like, one point of damage per second. Oh, you mean shit like cookie clicker. Yeah, something like that. Cookie clicker, cow clicker. Yeah, and, like, there is an actual, like, 
idle games community that just make like games that are based around the idea of you having secondary like involvement in it. And it's completely insane because it's connected to nothing really, as far as I can tell. Like it's yeah, just I... own subculture that doesn't really interact with other games, and maybe it probably makes sense that it doesn't interact with other games. Yeah. You know what that oh, kind of reminds me sorry. of? Like. I just have to interject. I just remembered what the name of the game that you kick little bald dudes for fun. It's <laughs> called Cargo the Quest for Gravity. It's a very strange I've game. heard of this game. Wait, wait, I think... Holy shit, it's in my Steam library. <laughs> when did this game enter my Steam library? What, what an age we live in. Where, where did this come from? <laughs> I... <laughs> I we live in an age where... I, I heard of the title and I just scrolled up and shit, it's my Steam library. <laughs> I think we live in an age where we don't know where half the games we own come from. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, like you're talking about these these incremental games. You know, this might be a little controversial. You know, it's another gaming subculture that doesn't seem to have much interaction with uh, the rest of the game that is pretty large. Sports gamers. Fuck! Right? Yeah. I know, well, yeah, I know Kappa <laughs> plays some sports games, but like you don't see that much overlap between people who buy, you know, the annual NBA or the annual Madden and people who play um, who play games like, I don't know, Gone Home or I don't know, Stanley Parable like, or, or games like that. I mean, yeah, probably, but I think like those sports games are huge. Yeah, they're like, huge. And that's yeah, why, like, it's not like they're outsider art, but they're sort of outside the mainstream gaming conversation. Yeah, like they're all, like every company will try to like highlight a big EA sports game or as many as they can, but they're just like, here's a sports game, and here's our, like, crazy violent shooter adventure cinematic whatevers, and, like, never the twain shall meet. So something like Golf Story came completely out of the blue, yeah. which admittedly isn't really in any of those molds, because it's an you RPG know, that's also a golf you know, game. Overall, what's, what's very interesting is that in 2017, we can talk about outsider art in video games. And um, not that long ago, video games were sort of an outsider art to, yep. to you know, just the overall art culture. World, culture. Yeah. yeah. People didn't consider them art until, mm. you know, maybe well, the 90s or 2000s. It definitely didn't hit mainstream until, like, mid-2000s. So. I, I think I made this argument on the AV Club. Ultimately, the question shouldn't be, are video games art? Because if you believe that they are or you believe that they aren't, you're probably not going to be swayed. It should be, how do we want to talk about games in an artistic way? Yeah, that's, I think that is like a, like a John Tatey quote right there. That's like his, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, his whole, uh, whatchamacallit, his whole attitude towards the whole art, artist yeah. games. Yeah, like, games art debate. Like there's no... Yeah. Um, like, I think that trying to state the claim is just posturing, mm -hmm. and it kind of yeah. gets away from, I think, what we're, like, all of us, you know, Kappa, you and I, and Science, and Mer, like, none of us, are, all of us come to this in different ways, and all of us have different expectations or desires and what we want from games, in games specifically and just the medium in general, but, like, I think we're interested in exploring what that means. Because you know, it's a really right. cool, wonderful medium, and I think as it's going to go on, we're going to see even more games. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I know this is going to be like the big concluding Aaron Sor Sorkin whatever speech, 
that I just realized that there was a whole culture of outsider games on the Atari because there was un- because they didn't have licenses. Oh yeah, that's definitely true. There's a bunch of like weird SNES games also that didn't have any licenses and they have like bootleg cartridges and like, they um, make games on that. Well, that yeah, it's like or literal like outsider yeah. art there. Super yeah. Noah's Ark 3D, which yeah, is yeah, Super Noah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, admittedly, it's it's hard to say that that's outsider art when that is quite literally a Doom clone. Yeah, but it, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's like weird, like mo- Bible games. Yeah, yeah but yeah. Christian you can also games. Also, say like mods are kind of outsider art, right? Like yeah. Doom mods. Like, like there's so many Doom mods, interesting, weird Doom mods that were made, and just like that probably has most of them never and nobody ever saw a bunch of that stuff and then there's like i feel like when you get to like different online shops you get kind of weird cultures too like um like there there were some weird fucking games on the 3ds eShop. there's weird games on steam there's, there's like whole weird, cultures of weird games there's and weird steam. mods for oblivion that are kind of just head scratching that's kind of outsider art when you think yeah. about it what about, um, you know, like, you used to get, like, how CD Projekt Red kind of came into being. You get all those localizations of games that are, you know, that weird gray area. Oh, um, yeah, dude. Poland in <laughs> the years of just after the communism. Oh, my God, dude. I've played some really weird shit back in the day. Oh, I played right. some bootleg fucking Soul Reaver PlayStation 1 games translated <laughs> to The Poland only reason I know about that games. is... Because uh, when I was in Iraq, it was kind of the same thing. You would buy these DVDs from the local stores, and it would be like it would almost be like they were trying to make a game on top of another game, but you were buying it to obviously play that first game. But they'd yeah. include like weird little things that they did to it that was almost like creating a game, very kind of yeah. outsidery art. But yeah. it's, sometimes it's just them wanting to get their stuff seen. But usually it was really just them selling you Grand Theft Auto Three or whatever. Yeah. Um, right. That actually, yeah, there was a whole culture of like gaming um, in in the Soviet bloc. Um, actually, there was a really good Super Bunny Hop video that came out, of, I think, a week or two ago on that, like about basically developers in East Germany who were trying to replicate the success of video games in the West while also trying to kind of straddle a line between being what like a lot of the people wanted and being what the government kind of wanted games to be. Um, yeah, in Poland, censorship didn't like, really reach uh, video games. Yeah. Because by the time, you know, 88, uh, 89, sorry, the, the whole Berlin Wall thing and just communism just fell apart. We just were like, uh, the games were entering an era which actually could be like, oh, the things could be controversial. But before 89, not really. So, like, nobody g- gave a shit about video games back then, especially not the government. They barely paid attention to movies. And we went, you know, some movies were really obviously criticizing the government and they didn't even really censor that. So, yeah, whatever. But, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so we've discussed a lot of interesting topics related to gaming that's sort of on the fringes uh, or gaming that's uh, outside the mainstream. Uh, and I think it's been a really illuminating discussion. Yeah, it's been a trip. different perspectives on <laughs> what's sort of outside and inside the mainstream, you know, what's made by experts versus non-experts. Um, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed this. Yeah. So do you guys have any other thoughts you'd like to share before we call this podcast to a close? I think I'm good. 
Happy uh, Halloween! Oh, oh yeah, this, this is supposed to be kind of like Halloween. <laughs> it was a very uh, creepy episode. I can attest yeah. to that. I mean, we this talked about this... some very unpleasant parts of the gaming community and parts that are just weird. Yeah, yeah. We we I did mention I did say the phrase Chris Caraba's thirty foot dick uh, <laughs> on here. So yeah. definitely uh, scary material. Enough. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for being on the podcast with me, chatting about some stuff. Yeah. Being spooky. Yeah. Um, very you know. spooky. Too bad you didn't keep the accent throughout the whole thing. That would be. That would have been great. Well, if he did, maybe you just really got used to it and. <laughs> You 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 can't hear it anymore because you're so used to me speaking. Oh, like that now. you're still speaking in it. Okay, cool. I'm yeah. still speaking in the accent. Well, I mean, wait, wait. Now the illusion is broken. If you yeah, wanted to do it. like the Bella accent, then I feel like the best way to do it is that right, like in the 15 minutes before the show ended, you would suddenly keel over and we'd have to replace you with like Ed Wood's chiropractor, like in Plant Nine. <laughs> there we go. That's the that's the perfect way to end. <laughs> exactly it. what you gotta do. Yeah. Replace you with. Chiropractor. Merv, do you have a chiropractor, maybe? <laughs> yeah, it, I, I'm not old enough to have a chiropractor. And he just like wear and he just like wears a cloak to cover the top of his face so it doesn't That so wouldn't sort make of for a very like good podcast. That guy wouldn't be able to speak to a microphone very clearly. Well, <laughs> no, just replace you with another just replace you with another brown guy. White people can't tell brown people apart, so it's all good. Oh, I think. Hot take! Yeah, especially if this is an audio podcast. You can't tell you can't tell what I look like. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, on that note, oh God. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back a few weeks from now after you listen to this. And we'll be back with a less spooky episode, probably. Yeah, it was a little very spooky. <laughs> Any particular topic? Any particular topic? I don't know. You guys will decide. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Thank you guys. The whole time. Uncertain.